Micah Miller trying to spring a pass ahead. Nobody in front of Jack Paling. Moves on with a blast and scores! Jack Paling! We aren't giving up on chances, and we just got to bottom line execute. Waits, waits, passes in front. Great save, Pelosi, as she robs a gopher in front of her. And that was number eight, Kippen Keller, on the great A opportunity. For me as a coach, that's the kind of D you're always looking for because uh, they don't grow on trees for sure, and, and he's done a really good job being a captain of a really young team this year. It's a really cool thing to see for them to uh, really appreciate what I've done on and off the ice. To the far half wall, Jack Paling trying to play it into the corner. Now Paling turns, squares his body to the slot, sends it up high toward Jack. Shaw makes his play through and they score! Right along the blue line, Nick Paling was in front of the net, and St. Cloud State's got a lead here in the Episode number 51 from the Huskies Warming House podcast. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host Nick Max. And Nick, we've got a lot to get to today. One of the most notable features is that you notice that Ben Holden is not with us today. We are going to touch on why that is and a little bit later in this episode. We have some men's hockey to really dissect from last night. A women's hockey season to talk about and not a whole lot actually happening around the National Hockey League in our Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, but that is where we are going to start in our Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. And once again, as we start in the NCHC conference, St. Claude did not have the start that they were looking for against the Bulldogs. And as a result, they have yet another week to find out where it's going to end up in the final seeding in the NCHC standings. Omaha did lose to North Dakota, and the Huskies can finish no worse than third as the result, but it came out flat in a 4-1 loss against the Bulldogs on a Saturday night. St. Cloud needs just a single point in the final game against the Bulldogs next Saturday to clinch the number two spot in the NCNC Conference, while Duluth would need an outright victory in regulation to steal the number two slot, forcing the Huskies down to third. Western Michigan and Miami are battling with a pair of games while Denver and Colorado College in the battle of the Panhandle have three contests left, and the results of each will determine the seedings for fifth place through eighth for the NCHC tournament. And fifth place through seventh place in WCHA hockey news means that those teams are done on the women's side in St. Cloud State women's hockey news. They did nab that sixth place with a pair of wins in Bemidji this past weekend, a three to two overtime win on Friday and a four to one victory on Saturday. Yanina Newland buried that game winner in game number one and Laura Kluga tallied the marker in night number two to end her senior career. The Huskies finished the regular season with a 325 winning percentage and it is the first time since 2016 that they have been over 300. They finished the regular season with a 6-12-1 record, and Wisconsin took care of Duluth to win the WCHA Conference on Saturday as well. St. Cloud, like we mentioned, does end their season, while Wisconsin, Minnesota, Duluth, and Ohio State will face off March 6th and 7th in the WCHA final faceoff to start the playoff season. We'll switch gears over to the National Hockey League, Noah, as it has adjusted the schedule for another 31 NHL contests due to cancellations largely related to COVID-19. Although since the Minnesota Wild have come back from their spell with COVID-19, they looked red hot in their return to the ice. The Wild had grabbed their sixth win in a row last night on Hockey Day in Minnesota, beating San Jose, Colorado by a combined score of 12-4 to before beating the Kings by a pair of games three to one on Friday and four, three in overtime again on Saturday, Matt Dumba did get the game winner with 0.2 seconds left in overtime to cap off hockey day, Minnesota, 2021. And it marks the first overtime game on HDM since Elk River native Nate Prosser had the same game winning overtime goal against Dallas in 2014. And the wild now will travel out West with two games against Vegas before back-to-back nights in Arizona. Otherwise, Nick, there's little news around the NHL this week, and largely the news does involve a slew of injuries uh, that are playing teams, especially from the East. Uh, the only movement of note is that Montreal Canadiens, uh, they did fire their head coach, Claude Julien, despite going 9-5-4 and four to start the season. Julien was hired by the team in February of 2017 after spending over a decade with the Boston Bruins. 
assistant coach Kirk Muller was also relieved of his duties in the move, and Dominique Ducharme will serve as interim head coach until the end of the season. Montreal has announced that then they will start looking for a new head coach, or Dominique may get the call as well. In injury news, Pittsburgh's Jason Zucker is out long-term with a leg injury. Buffalo's Jake McCabe will miss six to eight months with knee rehabilitation, apparently, sources say, in both knees. Boston defenseman Jeremy Lazan will be out for a month with a broken hand. Columbus goalie Elvis Merzlikens will miss a week with injury. And Toronto will miss a pair of players. Austin Matthews is day-to-day with a wrist ailment. Plus, Jake Muzzin has a broken bone in his face. In the West, St. Louis was hit hard with a pair of injuries as Carl Gunnarsson suffered a season-ending knee injury, while defenseman Colton Perenko is out indefinitely with back issues. Finally, in some more positive news on the injury side, Swedish goaltender Henrik Lundqvist returned to the ice for the first time since undergoing open-heart surgery two months ago. While he said he is excited, the 38-year-old netminder also stated he is months away from from a decision to return to the NHL or not. Welcome into the bulk of Center Ice View News and Notes. Like I mentioned, I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside Nick Maxson. And we did mention also Ben Holden is not with us. And Nick, it's some bittersweet news regarding Ben here. Um, it's sad that he's not with us, and it's also good that he's not with us. Nick, do you want to fill our listeners in on why we might not see Ben Holden for quite a while at least? Sure. Uh, ben is getting some offers um, with uh, some broadcasting companies. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail. I don't know if it's on our position specifically to make that announcement on his behalf, but uh, uh, some good things are turning up for Ben professionally, obviously some paid gigs. And with that, a little research time. Um, some are centered around the uh, college hockey landscape. Some are not. And, uh, you know, when it comes out to you pretty quick, knowing you and I, when we do broadcast. Uh, for KBSC, there's a lot of preparation work that goes into, you know, a broadcast, and especially if it's, you know, not trying to give things away, but maybe not necessarily uh, some teams or some um, some leagues you're not familiar with. There's a lot of, you know, research that goes into to make sure you're prepared and sound professional. And so Tim is taking, you know, the necessary time in order to, to do that. So um, we are happy for him. Um, obviously, we would love to have him back on the show, but at least in the meantime, and uh, you know what? Again, March is a time where a lot of things are wrapping up, especially like winter sports. A lot of playoffs are coming up. Uh, again, for the Huskies uh, men's squad, you know, the NCHC Frozen uh, Faceoff is coming up. Those are the NCAA tournament as long as they get a bid, which it sounds like they should. Uh, so for Ben, uh, we're very happy for him in that news. Um, again, uh, at some point, I'm sure he'll make a public announcement on Twitter or some other outlets exactly what he's up to. But at least for the foreseeable future, um, he'll be absent from us. And again, uh, it's a happy thing and we wish uh, Ben nothing but the best of luck in his new endeavors yeah well 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 said Nick um I think I think the one thing to kind of uh touch on here because it's weird it's like we're saying goodbye to him but not saying goodbye but we are saying goodbye it's kind of odd um in some senses it's almost a travesty that he was here for this long and the reason I say that is because he has the professionalism and the skill set to to do this profession very diligently um and, and probably shouldn't have been quote unquote um, without a gig, if you will, for as long as he was. But we are very gracious for him for taking his time and helping us out. And I, I think we had a lot of fun on the show. You know, a lot of a lot of uh, um, times, especially off the air, where we had um, probably even more fun than we did on the show. Um, and and I just, you know, I, it it's I want to almost like thank him for being able to take the time and give us the time because you know, we are, we are in, in some senses still the little guys uh, in the field and for him to kind of just up and go and say, yeah, I would love to be a part of what you guys are doing. Uh, it really changed kind of the dynamic and the landscape of our credibility and what we get to do to bring fans Huskies hockey and NCAA hockey. So we're really appreciative of his time. And we also respect his time and understand that he does have uh, um, those priorities related to his career and we wish him the best of luck and hopefully we get to hear from him again soon. Well, and I think that's one other thing that we need to point out, too, is that, you know, he did make it clear that, you know, if things do, you know, calm down and stuff, uh, that he would absolutely come back, you know, and you and I both know it's almost like finals preparation, you know, for us students, right? You know, it's just you, you know, you do, you know, what's necessary to, to get things done and to be successful. And for him, that's what he's essentially going through, you know, 
speaking from a student's perspective. And so 100%, you know, I think what the, what you stated before as, you know, how he doesn't have a full-time gig for me personally, I don't know how he isn't a full-time broadcaster in the mm -hmm. national hockey league with some team is to me just dumbfounding. But uh, you know, again, what, just like uh, you know, players and whatnot go in and out, you know, broadcasters, you know, who knows, you know, after uh, this season, maybe next season, some team gives him a call. Um, I know that he had some talks with some NHL squads um, before this last season. And certainly it's different times, but I I'm hoping for him that he gets an opportunity sometime. And I think he will. Um, it's just like you said, you know, for him to be available for us, what, six, seven weeks. Um, we definitely yeah. were expecting it for that long. And, you know, sure enough, you know, maybe uh, once things, you know, kind of go by the wayside here, March, April, he might make a return. And if he does great. Um, but I, I, as weird as this sounds, no, it almost kind of hope he doesn't because at the end of it, that means that he's doing some things he's getting paid to yeah. do what he does best. Yeah. And maybe I'll probably maybe not cut you off as much on the show. Um, and, and uh, on one final thing too, um, just to give listeners even more perspective, uh, we kind of found out, I believe, what, what was it Thursday night and Ben found out on that same day too, that these new opportunities were coming up. So it wasn't, it wasn't like this was some premeditated thing that Ben just said, okay, I'm leaving you guys. And this is what I feel. I mean, this is, it, it was it was a welcome surprise for all of us, but like we mentioned, bittersweet as well. So we do wish Ben the best of luck. Hopefully, Benny, we get to talk to you soon. And uh, um, yeah, it, it's it's been nice that we found out on Thursday and had a couple days to digest it because I do remember that Thursday night. It was a little bit sad to hear about that because I think that um, our shows go really well with him. Speaking of things that have gone well, Nick, we are going to touch on the end of the women's hockey season, men's hockey, and the red-hot Minnesota Wild as our pretty main topics on this show. Uh, let's start a little bit with women's hockey as they finally wrapped up their regular season in the WCHA, uh, finishing, like you mentioned, 6-12-1 and on the season. Uh, Nick, here's a fun little trivia for you. Who was the leading scorer for the women's hockey team this year? Hmm. Oof. Was it Kluga? Laura Kluga was fifth on the team, uh, technically tied for fourth with six points. Olivia Savar sits behind her in that sixth spot at five points. Uh, you, I'll give, I'll give you one more chance. So it's either it's either it's either Himlerova or it's uh, oh geez, let's go with Himlerova. Himlerova is actually sitting fourth on the list, uh, technically tied for third with freshman Emma Gentry for seven points on the year. Taylor Lind in second, the sophomore with 11 points, four goals, seven assists on the season. And rounding out the top scorers for the St. Cloud State women's hockey team, uh, the Finnish junior, Yanina Newland, seven goals, five assists for 12 points on the season. So um, one of the things that I think is really, really awesome about this team, you look at um, the year placements, for the top six scores for the Huskies. You have a junior, a sophomore, a freshman, a sophomore, a senior, and a sophomore. So um, over half your field in your top six scores are underclassmen ending this year. I think that is such a good sign for the St. Cloud State women's hockey team, knowing that you're getting production, finally, that we've been waiting so long and building and trendward, trending in that, you know, that upward direction. But on top of that, it's coming from people who are going to be there long-term. They're going to be there for one or two, you know, maybe even three more years. Uh, ha having, having a freshman who, you know, sits third in scoring, similar to what Clara Hamlerova did last year with this team, uh, credit to Janelle Sergey, Molly Engstrom, and Steve McDonald and, and the recruiting team that goes behind the scenes to bring these players in. Because if you can start to cultivate that culture with the St. Cloud group, as I feel like they are starting to do, I mean, we've walked into, you know, Janelle's office and look, she's got a whiteboard when you walk into her office and you can see she's got mapped out players that they're, they're talking to, have committed, potentially might commit all the way through like 2025. I mean, it's, it's insanely impressive to see the amount of work and the amount of forward thinking that it comes to trying to develop players into St. Cloud State Huskies hockey. Speaking of young players and passing on the torch, we do not know if Emma Paluzny will return for her quote unquote senior, super senior year, if you will. But here's a very uplifting stat here for you, Nick. Emma Paluzny, as usual, a 919 save percentage this year. Sonia Hola, the freshman, a 918 save percentage for this group. So uh, we, we're probably going to touch on some goaltending on the men's side. But Nick, how important is it for this women's hockey team, especially when they do have some times where they are having their own zone, to know that they have potentially a, a senior returning goaltender, but also a freshman goaltender that seems <coughs> like she's very capable of carrying the torch here? 
I mean, it is important, Noah, but I think, you know, going back to this weekend, one thing that struck me is something we haven't seen really in a while is the Huskies offense finally finding some footing and being consistent, right? They outscored Bemidji this week in seven to three. And I think at the end of it, they've relied on their goaltending, you know, quite a bit over these last few seasons. And at some point, I mean, you, you have to, you know, get that trend the other way. And I think, you know, as great of goaltenders as Sonny Ohola and Emma Poliznias, I think if you're the coaching staff and even the players that suit up and put on the St. Cloud State crest is that you would rather not have to rely on your goaltender as much as they have. Now, granted, this year, Noah, and I know we're going to talk about goaltending and, and maybe some timing issues uh, going into uh, their season as well. But for the women's, this has been such a goofy season in terms of their schedule mm-hmm. a couple of weeks off here and they almost had a month off between the first and second half of the seasons and we'll touch on this as well on the men's side but if you if you think about it you know goaltending especially is one of those positions where you know you want to have consistency especially playing and you want to you know keep the wheels turning and when you have so many long breaks like this is especially hard for goaltenders to really not only find their footing, but just keep it going. Right. So it's a very hard position to try to, you know, most put to sleep and wake back up again. And at the end of it, you know, for the Huskies to come out and have a sweep for the first time since 2016 and to finish off their regular season as they did, um, it's very promising. However, at the end of the day, too, this is a very small sample size. Um, and as you mentioned, you have to kind of also, you know, find a way going into next season, whatever that looks like. Hopefully it's more back to normal with uh, some really good numbers coming up from vaccine, uh, you know, type takeover, if you want to call it, from this uh, coronavirus. Um, like to see how this team continues to build. And that's the one thing we thought we would see probably a little bit more on. But there's an asterisk with the season because it's not a normal season. So I think there's a little bit of a pass. And, you know, I, we certainly hope. Emma Pelusny returns, but at the end of it, I'd like to see the development of the players that are in front of her trying to put the puck more in the net and the opposing net minor. Yeah, and you've got to like, as you mentioned with the scheduling conflicts, uh, one of the things to note to end the regular season, a very strong finish for the Huskies, knowing that they've been off for two weeks, actually. They had that bye week, and then they missed that week against Ohio State as well. So it's not easy to come back and kind of get into the rhythm for the last two games of the season. Uh, If any of the seniors for the single state women's hockey team do not come back in uniform, we do wish them the best of luck uh, in their uh, personal and professional and hockey careers if they choose to uh, continue in the route of hockey. Uh, it's It's been a blast watching these players uh, grow and develop. And uh, like you mentioned, Nick, uh, a small sample size, I think St. Cloud finally showed their medal against your Bemidji States, your your Minnesota State Mankatos, these teams that kind of make up, you know, that bottom part of the league. Now this is where you kind of need to start to claw a little bit. Can you knock off a game against Ohio State? Can you knock off a game against Duluth? The Minnesota Golden Gophers, uh, in terms of points percentage, at least finished fourth. They almost were in danger of actually missing the tournament here so i mean you got to realize uh this wcha has a lot of flux and a lot of teams that can beat you on any given night so i think we preach that all year is that one of the biggest things is that you're seeing that young depth scoring you're seeing that production start to come you're seeing goaltenders that can hang you in hockey keep you in hockey games now can we find that consistency factor now can we find that full 60 minute effort can we turn it into 120 minutes and a full weekend effort and can they do it on a consistent basis and i i think steve mcdonald uh janelle and molly Uh, that's kind of what they've been preaching from day one is just finding a way that when our game is on, can we keep that rolling no matter the opponent, no matter the time, no matter the day. Um, And I think that's the next step for the St. Louis State women's hockey team. And I think the production and scoring will follow suit if they can continue with that effort level. But I like the growth that we saw this year, and I'm really excited to see what they bring in 2021-22. Moving over to the men's side, Nick. Um, a little more depressing week to talk about this one. I, I We might as well start with our trivia question because it does involve the St. Cloud State Huskies. The trivia did start as St. Cloud State could nab second place in the NCHC standings with a win tonight against Duluth. Unfortunately, as we know, that did not happen. Uh, St. Cloud State men's hockey has finished first three times, fifth two times, and sixth. They've also finished in second place. They were tied that year only once in the NCHC standings in what season? What is the only season they finish in second place in the NCHC standings? 2015? 2015-16 is actually correct. In 2015-16, the Huskies tied Denver for second place that year in the NCHC. They went 31-9-1 that year, which is um, 
I don't know which is more mind blowing the fact that they went 31 and nine or the fact that they went 31 and nine and they were still in second place in the NCAC North Dakota finishing first that year as well. Um, our winner was Tinner Heath moving in two wins of first place with his ninth win of the season. We have six, le- six weeks left in two line fan trivia. So we'll definitely keep you updated that on that. The last day is April 10th for season number one of the two line fan trivia. Um, Nick men's hockey five to one loss with an empty netter last night. I, it felt like a five to one loss. There's not many nights. I think, you know, I think I go back to uh, the Western Michigan game where they lost, what was it? Six to two uh, in that game in Kalamazoo. I mean, that was a game that got away from them in the third period, but it didn't feel like a six to two game. This game, uh, by the end of the first period, the Huskies were in trouble down to three, down three to nothing. Um, goaltending didn't look sharp. Uh, the defensive core really did not look sharp. I don't, I don't even know if I can say if the forwards look sharp or not, because they just had a tough time getting the puck out of their own zone or getting pucks to them to begin with. Um, there were a couple things I liked. I thought for the first half of the second period, even especially, I know the Huskies scored in that particular time frame. I thought St. Cloud finally started to generate a little bit. Uh, but then that goal by Nick Sweeney, that fourth goal was an absolute backbreaker. And that just shows why he hit the century mark as the 54th player all time in uh, Duluth history to hit that mark. Um, St. Cloud, one game left in the regular season, Herbrooks National Hockey Center, 1.07 p.m. next Saturday. Same team, winner take all. The Huskies, at worst, have to push the game to overtime or better in order to secure the second spot in the NCHC. Nick, did this look like a team that should be in the top four in the NCHC last night? No, it didn't. I hate to say that, but no. Um, I was I, I was very disappointed in the effort, uh, especially the first 20 minutes. Now, I know that, you know, talking off air, Noah, that, you know, there, there's two perspectives here, right? There is the, the, the athlete perspective, which is, yeah, it's only 20 minutes, right? And there's still two thirds of the hockey game that are left. Right. And, you know, for most athletes, that's, that's a correct mentality to have. The problem I have with that is you're going, you're, you're having these kinds of starts at the wrong time of the season. If this is game one, game two, if this is a couple of weeks in, I'm not so concerned. I do not like the timing of this, especially when you have one and done's essentially the rest of the way out, including the NCHC playoffs. And then ideally the NCAA playoffs that's not the kind of start that you want against teams. And I say that for a couple of reasons. One, let's go back to Air Force and AIC. I hate to, you know, to bring up old scars about the end of the day. St. Cloud is a team when it essentially games are one and done, right? And rosters are different for whatever reason, you know, this, when you go down like that early, this team has not shown the resiliency late in seasons, especially in playoffs to be able to claw back. Now, part of that is, again, as teams go up, go throughout the season, Noah, you and I both can attest to this, you get better and especially better at holding a lead, which means for a team like Duluth, which does have their bread and butter as being the shutdown type team when they do get a lead, their first 20 from a fans as well as a broadcast perspective, that's almost a season killer type start for me. And it's not me trying to be negative. It's also me being, you know, realistic about the situation, which is when you have teams that are so good at shutting down the middle of the ice, you talked about it during your rant there that, you know, St. Cloud for the first 20 just seemed to couldn't even cleanly break out. David Reddick to me did not look comfortable on that. We'll do more of a deep dive into him, I think later on, but you know, that is not what I wanted to see as the second to last game in their season. And, you know, if anything, and you mentioned this too, is that you hope that it pisses them off enough where they use it as motivation, but you also have to use the energy in the right way. And so next week is going to be a huge opportunity to respond and to prove that they're a much better hockey team than they showed here yesterday. But at the end of it, they're going to have to show it and they're going to have to show it for the next how many games they have because, again, it's one and done the rest of the way for this Husky squad. Yeah, you actually led right into the point that I was going to make here. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the the biggest thing that I hope, and, and I look back to uh, the Duluth teams that snuck in uh, at 13th place in the NCAA tournament, you look at some of these teams that uh, have kind of had that up and down and that adversity and almost entered tournament time with kind of that back against the wall. We're a little bit worried about how we're playing in front of our goaltender type mentality um and sometimes that can spark a team so in some respects you're um you're absolutely right across the board first of all not the effort we're looking for especially in game number what is this game number 20 or something like that in the season 23 
game number 23 of the season, right? We have one more game left in the regular season, not the time to be having a slip up and not, not even a slip up, but just a, a flat, I would say 50 minutes of that game. The Huskies were flat. I would say probably about 10 minutes of that game. The Huskies really had some mojo going and that was about it. Um, they also, uh, for a side tangent here, shoot the puck. I know they, they had 11 shots through two periods. And I know that sounds like, well, yeah, they only had 11 shots. I think just in general, when you're down, um, let's say the Huskies, and we don't want this to happen, but if the Huskies get to the NCAA tournament in the first round and they're in Fargo and they get down three to nothing against, you know, whoever they're playing, it, like number number one priority is get pucks to the net, create havoc, create traffic. Like any puck is a good puck on net, especially against a tight checking team on an NHL size rink like Duluth. So I think St. Cloud, um, I know you're looking for the perfect play. I know you're looking for kind of the backdoor tapping. Uh, nothing wrong, and we saw it with the only goal that the Huskies scored, with just turning around and wheeling a puck towards the net and creating traffic in front of the net. I don't think uh, whoever was, I don't even remember who was in net for Duluth last night. I don't think he had to work hard. I, I didn't see too many no. times where, where he had to work hard and work for second chance opportunities. They were all one and dones. They were all ending up in the corner. And that's probably even the bigger thing is we know St. Cloud, when they really start buzzing, they have one effective zone time. They're really good at cycling the puck and using their speed, but two, their ability to get the puck either high to low or east to west and just put a puck towards the front of the net or create some sort of cross seam pass or cross seam opportunity. That's the Huskies bread and butter in their MO. We just didn't see that last night. Um, but like going back to my original point, you hope that this is the spark for the St. Cloud State team that pushes them, like you mentioned, to the one and dones the rest of the year. One game left in the regular season, second place or third place in the NCHC. We're going to decide that next week. NCHC playoffs coming coming up. One and dones all across the board through that. You have to win four games to win the NCHC tournament. After that, tournament time. You have to win four games to win a national championship. St. Cloud. This is, this is their last opportunity to have a slip up. And I, as, as you know, Nick, I am forever the optimist and, you know, it's not over till the fat lady sings, but the fat lady was warming up her pipes after the first period last night. And we can't have that for the St. Cloud state group. And part of that goes back to a mental aspect that you and I talked about off the air. And it does involve David Rennick. Um, and I thought about it last night and you're right. You're right about um, how even implications uh, before game time actually starts can have a really big impact on the way the team performs. And to be honest, Nick, as you're going to allude to when I hand you the torch in five seconds here, Jackson Castor might be the starting goalie for the rest of the season. He should be. Um, and at the end of it, you, you talk about coaching strategy, right? Sometimes it's not so much that it's a knock on the goaltender, which in this case, it sort of is because um, Rennick was fighting the pucks all the, the entire minute he was in. Uh, you could see that even those long wrist shots that were on his glove side, he wasn't catching them clean. He definitely looked like almost he was panicking. He, he was almost trying to do too much. And I think this Husky team, and, and when you talk about teams that, you know, want to secure a spot, that see a goal, they know they can obtain it. It's almost like, again, you, you, you can either rise to the occasion or you can uh, let that creep into your head. And it, to me, it almost looked like that that crept in the head of David Rennick. Now, as we talked about fair, just to give the listeners a little bit of, uh, of insight, when you're a player, you can almost get a feel for the goaltender of, of where he's at, even in warmups. We've actually talked to a couple of former Husky players, um, just in goaltending in general, not necessarily somebody specifically, but you can tell when a goaltender is locked down, even in warmups. If I'm shooting the puck on a goaltender in warmups, I know I'm confident with my shot. Uh, and I'm picking corners. That's one thing, right? However, if I'm putting it right into his glove and he's fighting it off or he's missing it, that gets in your head a little bit. And as a defenseman, as a forward, you're going to play defensive structure differently. That causes more breakdowns. You're, you're not trusting the goaltender because you're not trusting your teammates. That is a very negative spiral that can happen early in the game. Now, was that the case last time against Duluth? We, we don't, we don't know. Um, but certainly for my eyes as a trained, you know, hockey mind, David Rennick did not look great in that. He did not look calm. He, his remote control was great. And again, when you fight pucks, uh, going to your glove side that you're not catching cleanly, that to me was red flag number 500. And for Brett Larson, he has a decision to make, Noah. I think, you know, at the end of it, you want this team to respond. And you also kind of want David Rennick to feel a little bit of heat, right? You, you almost want to say, hey, Jackson, this is your net. And if I'm Brett Larson, now, you know, if, if I'm the head coach, not only do I 
start Jackson Caster next Saturday. I'm also starting in game one of the NCHC uh, playoffs. And the reason why I say that is if I'm David Rennick, yeah, you want a chance to rebound, but almost piss him off a little bit. Give him an edge. Give him something to say, hey, that's my net. You know, why are you setting me for two straight games? A goaltender that's pissy and trying to prove themselves. Let's look back on the NHL. Jordan Bennington, Devin Dubnik, when he was first traded to the Minnesota Wild. These are goaltenders that thought they were in different spots. They got an opportunity. They ran with it, right? We talk about it in hockey all the time. A hot goaltender sometimes is the X factor. I'm not sure if that's the recipe for success for the Huskies. Because certainly last night effort was not all on goaltending. Uh, but at the end of it, it can help create a spark. And maybe that's one way to do it, Noah. Yeah, maybe let's not pull a Jordan Bennington, Devin Dubnik, and throw fisticuffs, though, uh, in the NCHA tournament. But uh, <laughs> to, to your point, uh, Jackson Castor, he, here's, the, here's the beauty of that argument. Let's say you put Jackson Castor in next week, right? Because David Rennick's been the guy. We know what we are or aren't going to get from David Rennick. We've seen all sides, the plethora of David Rennick's game this year. Um, Jackson Castor, if Jackson Castor comes in, plays well on Saturday, plays well in the NCHC tournament, now you start having a 1A, 1B tandem where it's like you ride the hot goaltender. If Jackson Castor lights the world on fire in the next two weeks, that, that, that's his net. Um, and Dave Starman alluded to it very, very well. Uh, David Rennick, a uh, very happy guy, but you see some of the best goaltenders in the league. They're not happy individuals. <laughs> They're not talkative individuals. And that's, that's not a knock on David. That's just David's personality, but some goaltenders just need that mental edge. And maybe you need to find a way to spark that in David. Um, you know, the other piece of this too, you, you talked about warmups. Um, the casual fan will say, okay, let's say I go to Grand Forks. I somehow was able to get a ticket, even though they opened it up early to UND fans uh, in Ralph Engelstead Arena. <clears throat> Uh, kind of uncool, but anyway, so right. shocker, right? You, you're sitting in your <laughs> exactly um, money is money. So you're sitting and watching the Huskies warm up, and who's ever starting that night, you see them, they're struggling, they're fighting pucks, they're not stopping a lot of pucks, they're not catching things in their gloves, they're not keeping things to the outside, and you go, oh no, this is this is AIC all over again. What is going on here? What what do we do? What does this team need to do now that they know that their goals are rattled? What's going on? Here's the kicker. I, so I agree with your theory because largely it is correct. However, I've seen times where we've had goaltenders who their warmups have been extremely poor and they go out and pitch a shutout. How does that happen? I think as a goaltender, uh, like any goaltender will tell you, they'd rather have 40 shots on them that night than four. Um, just because um, it, it helps them track the puck and helps them feel comfortable with their movements. So a couple of things need to go into account to have a bad warm-up turn into a good goaltending performance. Number one, as we alluded to, team defense and just playing the same structure that you're accustomed to. If you start switching a structure up on a goaltender, their reaction and their movements do not play into the structure that they're used to having in front of them. And what that means is keeping pucks to the outside and letting the first couple shots against the goaltender be um, non-threatening, if you will. Pucks from the point, things that they can track. Maybe they track a puck, you know, from the point that you're able to spread the traffic away and they can see it cleanly, catch it in their glove, uh, just kind of get mentally reset. Number two, um, and this one is one that you don't want to do, but I always thought that as if you had a goaltender who was having a shaky uh, warm up or didn't look well in the first five minutes of the game, then somebody comes down on a two on one and he makes an unreal glove save, right? Or an unreal desperation stop. I feel like, like that's a momentum changer for me at that particular point. I've seen goaltenders where that's where the switch flips. And with David Rennick, this is the knock on him right now is when his starts are poor, he does not give the Huskies that one save that they're looking for. Imagine the game last night, the third goal that was scored shot comes in from the point. Uh, Rennick blockers it away. The rebound goes to the half hole, pass to the slot. Boom. One timer in the back of the net. What if he makes a glove save there, you know, reaches across desperation, save makes a stop there potentially can change the complexion of the entire game. Cause now the Huskies are saying, okay, we're playing with house money. We're only down two to nothing. Let's go to work. Let's go to work. Let's start generating a little bit. We did not get that from David Rennick last night. And as you alluded to Nick, is it fair to say that we really haven't seen a whole lot of that from David Rennick this year? I think it is fair, honestly. Um, at the end of it, you know, successful teams, as you mentioned, you know, when, when you're on the ice, you and I've been there, I, I, you know, 
especially in your own zone, you know when you're out of structure. You know when you're kind of chasing the game a little bit. Uh, it's not that you try to do that, but you, 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 you can feel it, right? And your goaltender especially is one of those key positions that, as you mentioned, can flip the script on a game. You know, you mentioned a two-on-one against. Yeah, you, you definitely don't want that situation one, but if he does, you know, is that kind of the ignition spark? Sure. Um, the other thing too is, you know, let's talk about uh, Andy Murray and also even Scott Salen. Sometimes you can take a timeout five minutes into a hockey game and just tongue lash your bench. Um, and I think almost sometimes, and I know as a coach, you, you want to save your timeout for sometimes the end of the game if you need it. But oftentimes too, some, you know, you look at some of these games uh, for the Huskies and you go, sometimes that timeout in the first two minutes was probably better than not yeah. using your timeout at all. Right. Where as a coach, you know, it's a one game. You, you look at it as one game. And if you're seeing your team reeling, you call a timeout, you get your guys settled down, but then you just unleash hell with your vocal cords and be like, Hey guys, like, do you want to go home tonight? Do you want to dust off the, you know, the golf clubs? Well, if you do, then keep playing the way you're playing. I don't, I want to go to Pittsburgh. I want to go up to, you know, Fargo and have a good showing. So if you want to do that, you know, let's get your heads out of your, you know, what, and let's go, you know, yeah, and, and, and at the end of it. And that, and that's fair. And, and, and I think that the other piece of this too, and Nick, you and I talked about this off air, we were naming a uh, specifically defensive core that we felt played well and didn't play well. And we're not going to reveal that because that's, that's just us talking hockey. Um, I don't know if we could really evaluate the forwards last night because the forwards didn't have the puck a whole lot. And that's not to say that the forwards did or didn't play well. One of the things of note, and you look at that fourth goal though, I think the Huskies started running around in their own zone on the forward side though, and didn't cover their points very well. You saw that on that fourth goal where you see guys who are, I call it um, going through the motions, essentially they're in position, but they're not in position for a purpose. You know, it's like you, yeah. when you're in position, you have to have active sticks and start making plays. But we saw that defensive breakdown a little bit. Again, does that go back to maybe being nervous about your goaltender? Maybe, maybe not. But uh, this defensive core uh, kind of reverted back to what we saw about three weeks ago and did not look strong uh, uh, again. And that's something that you're not going to want to look for. Here's, here's something that I want to posit to you, Nick. And I kind of thought of this on the fly. So it might be an absolute dumpster fire. We'll have to see, but I was, Sorry, my wife. I was thinking about, <laughs> I was thinking about where does this St. Cloud state team sit? And what I mean by that is when we had Dave Starman on a couple of weeks ago, we asked him the question, when you look at St. Cloud State's roster, do you feel this is a team that can compete for a national championship? Now, he said yes. Nick, I think you and I are in agreement with the goaltending issues that we're seeing right now. We don't see a goaltender that has taken the mantle late in the season right now. I don't know if we would characterize this group in that upper echelon simply because they're going to have to rely a lot right now on their offensive production to push them through. If they get another goaltending performance, like the one we saw last night, you're going to have to see Vietti Miatin and Yami Kranela, Nick Perbix, those high flying Sam Henches pot a couple of goals to keep the team in the game. And when the offense runs dry, you need to rely on your goaltender. So I think that you and I would hesitate to put them in that upper, upper tier of NCAA play, even though they did come in at six in the USCHL polls. So Nick, I want to kind of touch on that a little bit. Let's put, let's put the upper tier teams. I feel like the Huskies are in that next tier, that middle of the pack NCAA tournament bubble, if you will, high flying teams, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan. I think all three big 10 teams are upper echelon hockey teams. Agree or disagree? Like tier one, Michigan. Yes. Minnesota and Wisconsin, not necessarily. 17 and eight and 19 and five. I don't care about the record. I care about, you know, because here's the thing, you know, if I play CC 17 times, I'm going to have a pretty damn good record to pardon my French. My thing is Wisconsin has defensive liabilities. Minnesota can score quite a bit, um, <clears throat> but I'm worried that they haven't really played the type of teams with structure that, you know, say the NCAC teams have played. Um, to me, the upper echelon teams to me are North Dakota, Michigan, and Boston college. It's those three and those three only. Okay. What about uh, Minnesota state? <laughs> Minnesota state uh, again, uh, the WCHA um, to me, Minnesota state is kind of like a one B only because, you know, they have arguably, you know, a, a, one of the best goaltenders in all of college and Dryden McKay. He's kind of their X factor, but again, with the WCHA and some of the teams that they have to play, I, I'm not quite sold on, you know, what, if they have to play a team, 
team like North Dakota or Michigan that has, you know, sort of the same run and gun style, um, you know, can they keep up with them? They've shown in years past that they can. I just, to be honest with you, I haven't seen quite enough of them. And to me, with that conference being the WCHA and the, the you know, the competition within that, I hesitate to put them in that upper echelon just as of yet. Okay. So then um, last one, does Quinnipiac fall into that category? Yes or no? No. Um, again, Quinnipiac, again, out East, you know, they're one of what four teams that are playing their entire conference. Um, they played a lot of non-conference games. Um, again, we've shown that they have had great teams in the past. They've got great coaching. Um, but again, you know, this, and this season is so weird, you know, so when, it, when I talk about teams like Minnesota, like Wisconsin, like Mankato, and then again, Quinnipiac, it's not necessarily that, you know, they can't be there, but again, it's, you know, with the lack of competition that they're playing and also within their own conference, when you're not playing outside of your own, you know, team, that you normally play it's hard to really get a uh, I guess a measuring stick against them um so you know it almost opens up a, a blank field this year for the NCAA tournament which is good okay you know so, to a sense because that means so okay so so then maybe let's go this direction I, I would even throw maybe BU in there as the fourth team in your top four teams because they're, they're 10 and three this year um so I think BU, I would throw BU, I would throw BU in there, NBC yes. in there okay so we got um, and this is this is totally off the cuff, people. So Michigan, University of North Dakota, BCBU, those are our teams that are probably the favorites potentially to win a national title this year, um, or the your tier one grade A teams. Second list, I got to say Mankato, I got to say uh, the University of Minnesota, Wisconsin, Wisconsin will be there. Yeah. Um, I, I, and this this is kind of maybe more my point here is. Is St. Cloud even maybe not in the argument as a top eight or a top 10 team in the NCAA? And this is where I kind of just want to work through the list and see right now, where do we feel the Huskies are? If you went by traditional paralyzed, which is an absolute mess this year, St. Cloud came in at 13 and Duluth came in at 21 and they're separated by a win right now. So, yep. um, you know, that, that changes a lot of things. Uh, UMass 13, five and three, do we put them in that second group? Would you say you can. I would put UMass in the second group. Yep. All right. So that's, that's, you got pretty much, uh, I would say that's you your three, top eight. Yeah. You got three teams from hockey East. Okay. Uh, WCHA bowling green, 18, eight and one. Do they fit in that? Or do they still fit we, in that second tier? They're tertiary to me, bowling green. Or tertiary so okay. to me that's where st cloud ends up with bowling green is teams that have that potential but haven't shown the consistency enough against some of those up other upper echelon teams or competition to really separate themselves as anything but uh second or first in terms of you know where they would rank okay so uh, fair to say okay we've got our top four our next four then bowling green and then fair to say number two in the nchc whoever that may be yeah in that spot. Okay. I'm just going to put number two in the NCHC. Um, after that, okay. So we've got Bowling Green and number two, filling out the nine and 10 spots here. Um, does whoever is number three in the NCHC get the bid over a team like Michigan tech or Lake superior state at Michigan 17 and eight Lake superiors 13 and five, or are those residual teams that don't fit in that group? The other teams we have, and this is here, part of the, the other teams we have here, AIC and Atlantic hockey, um, Quinnipiac in the ECAC. And then pretty much after that, you're done. So it's, do you feel that the number three spot in the NCHC is better or worse than Lake Superior, Michigan Tech, um, AIC probably, and Quinnipiac? I do actually. And here's why the competition okay. you're playing. Uh, I mean, again, that's, that's the whole, that's the for, for folks listening, this is the conversations that are going to be had to pick the NCAA tournament field is, yeah, you have records, but to me, records are not, to me, the number one thing. Yeah, they, they mean something. Don't get me wrong. But you also have to talk about, well, what, you know, in your mentality, what's your mental pairwise, right? If you're a scout, you know, Duluth's got to play St. Cloud. They got to play North Dakota. They got to play Denver. They got to play Omaha, which is like really good. Western Michigan's a team that, you know, despite their record, you could, you could easily argue the second half is they may be one of the best teams in college hockey, the way that they've come back from their time mm -hmm. in the pod and having to go down their number one goaltender, you know, so there's so much subjectivity that's going to have to go into these decisions. Uh, and, and not to make this about, you know, I think we want to get away from Noah trying to fill out a 16 team tournament bracket here. I just, but I just, I, you know, I just, I just did it actually. <laughs> right. I know. Right. So, so, at, so, but, but to kind of get to where you were going with this, you know, to kind of wrap it up and that is, you know, this conversation is going to be tough. 
Now, mind you, Brett Larson is part of this advisory committee that's going mm. to be, you know, essentially putting their thoughts into who should be part of this. Again, there's going to be other people to scouts and whatnot, but this is what, this is how tough this is going to be. And, and, and it's, and it's very difficult. So for people who are watching the YouTube page, I just wrote down the teams that I, I kind of put them into brackets of four, if you will. And that, that's a big question and talks about, I think, as we're going to get to this point here at um, Nick, how big this weekend and potentially the NCHC playoffs are in terms of building momentum, but not only that, putting yourself in a really good spot to just kind of solidify your entry into this tournament. As we know, uh, conference champions uh, are, are likely in the field of 16, regardless, you know, it's auto bids. Yeah. yeah. The only team, the, their auto bids, the only team that's always a question mark is probably Atlantic hockey, just depending on seeing where they're going to end up is usually their auto bid. Usually if you win, the Atlantic Hockey regular season championship, you also have to win the conference championship to punch your ticket into the tournament. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay. Michigan, North Dakota, BCBU, tier one teams, Mankato, Minnesota, Wisconsin, UMass, top eight teams that rounds out your top eight. So right now, Nick and I, our opinion here, we've come to a consensus that Bowling Green, the two and three slots in the NCHC and probably Quinnipiac, round out your top 12 teams, which that's like Quinnipiac is very loosely a bubble team. You know, they are probably the last bubble team potentially in the tournament field. If the, if each tournament goes haywire. And the reason I say that Western Michigan could come in and steal the NCHC tournament, you know, like don't, don't count that out. Then you've got Michigan tech Lake superior AIC. And I just put question mark. Cause after that, it's like, I don't even know um, for number 16, but that's, that's where it's like, if you're a Huskies fan and you ask me this question, I don't know, a week ago, I would, I would put them in, in that middle four, that like four through eight spot. Cause they were trending in the right direction. They were starting to play well. They were starting to get offensive production. And you think about these one game winner take alls when you get to tournament time, how much fluctuation you can have on this top 16 and St. Cloud state. Uh, who is it? One of our followers, he goes by Mahoney. He said, I St. Cloud state loses the next two. They missed the NCAA tournament. I agree. I a hundred percent agree. And it's, it's a very, like, you want to talk about the motivating factor that, and again, we go back to the adversity that has pushed some of these middle of the pack teams to win a national championship. St. Cloud state with their performance last night has self-inflictedly put their backs up against the wall. Now the future remains to see if it's actually a better mix than a team that came in in 2018 that didn't play a meaningful game after February 1st. Will, th- will this mix create that X factor team that's going to wake this Huskies team up and turn them into a better hockey team? I don't know, but Nick, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, do you think the Huskies are going to make the tournament? Do you think they have it in them to turn the ship around in one week? They have a week to sit and dwell on this game against Duluth, which is a good thing and a bad thing in some respects, do the Huskies make the tournament in your opinion, based on what you would predict? And that's, so that's a very, refer- lo- me, well, very loaded well, question. <laughs> it's a loaded question, but I think it's a proper to rephrase the question. I don't think you can, you know, uh, uh, the answer is you have to win at least the next two games. And here's why I say that you have to win against the at home. You have to do it in regulation. Cause again, you know, you're putting yourself second in the NCAC conference. Not only that, you have to get your swagger back. You have to win at least the first round game in the NCHC playoffs because at that point, you're in the top four of the conference, which means you're back to sort of being the same conversation as your regular season standings are at. And if you lose in the semis to whoever it is, I'm not so concerned. But you got to win at least the next two games. If you lose – now, you talk about a nightmare scenario for the – Huskies, let's say you lose the next two at Western Michigan goes all the way and upsets North Dakota in the end the conference championship, not to put Nodak in the, um, the, the championship game already, but that would, I think, push the Huskies out of the NCAA tournament field, right? Um, it can happen in this conference, unfortunately. This conference, the parity, there's not much, you know, really that separates most of these hockey squads. So you do have to assert yourself and grab the bull by the horns and have that sort of killer instinct. And we just haven't seen that, especially last game. They're going to have to show up at least the next two games in order to get themselves in a sure conversation to be in the NCAA tournament field. 
And you and I talked about that. If the season ended today, I think the Huskies are safe. But the question mark is, do you want to put yourself on the bubble or not? You know, their play next week and the week after is going to dictate whether or not they want to be on the bubble or they want to be safely inside the bubble. So hopefully the Huskies can turn it around there. Um, they have the ability. They have, they have the capability. This team does to be a better hockey team than they were last night. My hope and me, the ever loving optimist, I, uh, is hoping that this St. Cloud State team, that was a bump in the road, that was a one and done, and hopefully they can get back to form next weekend. But we'll have to see. Like you mentioned, Herbrook's National Hockey Center, Saturday, 1.07 p.m. Central Time, is puck drop. Nice that it's on home ice and nice that it's a bigger ice sheet. Uh, maybe some factors that potentially could help the Huskies. Moving on to a team that needs no help in terms of league play right now, and that is the Minnesota Wild. Kirill the Thrill, Kirill Kaprizov playing well. Jordan Greenway, Joel Erickson, Jewel Erickson, sorry. Got to remember that pronunciation there. The Wild have been trending upwards in the right direction. Winners of six straight, so they'll probably lose the next game after we air this show. Um, Nick, what have you liked from this Minnesota Wild team that, um, similar to the Huskies, fans are very quick to write off when things are not going well. But right now, they're looking like a good hockey team. I think what I like about this team, and this is, you know, we can talk about obvious stuff, but this team's depth Honestly, especially up front has been a surprise to say the least, maybe. Um, uh, let's talk about Jules Erickson Eck, um, the team leader in eight goals. I mean, the offense is finally starting to kick with them. Um, Matt Sucarello has been sort of the spark of this hockey squad since coming back from injury. Um, but let's go down the lineup. Victor Rask, uh, five goals, four point, uh, four assists, nine points. He's uh, almost having a renaissance of his career right now. Uh, Ryan Hartman, Marcus Foligno, uh, Nick Bukestag, Bonino. I mean, even the bottom six guys, I mean, this team looks fast. They look structured. They're creating offense. And, you know, I want to touch on Kirill, the thrill, Dalla Dalla Bill Kirill right now, just only because, yes, we know about his offense and how good he's been. But I want to talk about his defensive play. It's been absolutely fantastic, especially in the neutral zone. How many times has he anticipated a cross-ice pass out of the a defensive zone for his opponent and either picked it off or at least forced the play to have to turn back? This kid is a 200-foot player. A lot, I guess, earlier in his transition from uh, the KHL to than I would have anticipated. Uh, this kid is the real deal. Um, we, we see it every game. He's, he's almost the only reason why you want to watch the wide run. You want to see what he can do, not to take anything away. He's just that good. Players, he's but just he's that just good. that good. We just haven't had somebody with that much offensive skill and pizzazz to his game since Marion Gabrick. It's been 12, 13 years since we've had a player with that kind of skill set to watch. So it's actually been a joy to watch. Uh, and this team right now is clicking in all cylinders. Uh, yeah, if coming back from COVID, the team is decimated, but you're, every team is going to probably have to go through that at some point. Uh, at the end of it, LA came into this last two game series as, as a hot team themselves, and they took care of them almost with these. Uh, last night's game kind of got away from a little bit. Uh, Wild had a lead to let it slip away, but then recovered in overtime. But now they have a bigger test going against Vegas, the number one team in the West Division. And all the wild, all about that, second place right now in the division and riding sky-high momentum. This team right now is pretty fun to watch. Yeah, and exactly the response you wanted after losing a couple games to COVID because you just never know where, you know, where this season is actually going to end up. I a couple of things I want to touch on first Kirill Kaprizov, uh, a lot more of a playmaker than I think people realize. Obviously he has that natural shooting ability, but um, I think he, I really like him on the power play because he reminds me of a guy like probably Nicholas Basham or TJ Oshie, a guy that you can put in the middle of the ice, uh, you know, on the half wall and he's a threat to score, but he's also a threat to draw guys to him and then kick a puck to somebody else and make a really nice pass too. So um, he's, He's someone that is being watched all over the ice, still makes plays because of that, but at worst can, you know, or at minimum can be a distractor and set somebody else up uh, on a play. One player that you mentioned here, um, and our, our friend Derek Felsko is going to like this because he's not a, a big Matt Zuccarello fan, but I want to talk about Matt Zuccarello. Yeah, he's had a hot start to the season, a point per game player, um, uh, actually 11 points in seven games here. Last year, 15 goals, 22 assists, 37 points in 65 games played. And he was minus nine to boot on a Minnesota wild team. That was not the best last year, I would say. Um, I know he's probably overpaid and he's getting older. He's, you know, that is what it is. I actually think Matt Zuccarello, he hasn't overperformed, but I don't, I don't think it's fair to say even no. last year that he underperformed. 
no. You know, like I think I think he filled his role out quite nicely. Should he cost six million dollars a year? No, but the role that he played his game, he was as advertised for the wild. It's just his ad advertised play is not worth six million dollars a year. Does that make any sense? Yes and no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing about Matt Zuccarello. A lot of and, the, and I know Michael, Michael Russo, the athletic, touched on this. Uh, Matt Zuccarello is you know native Norwegian, but he speaks Finnish, but he he also speaks a little Russian, and that's even something that was a surprise to Russo. And if Russo doesn't know something, that's a surprise, right? So uh, at the end of <laughs> at the end of it, Zuccarello being paired with Kaprizov, two playmakers, and then you get uh, Victor Rask, who has been a pleasant surprise to say the least. This team, you know, they call him the Euro Line right now. Just I don't know if it's just familiar, familiarity with just kind of the style of play, and maybe just it's the luck of the draw. I mean, we talk about line chemistry in hockey. You know, and you and I both know this very well. Sometimes you just throw three names into a line, and for whatever dumb reason, maybe on paper it says there's no way this can work, but for whatever reason, there's just clicks, right? You just know where each other is at. You don't have to look. You can go head first in the boards, put the puck between your legs and you can hit somebody streaking down the middle uh, while everybody's coming at you. Uh, back to Kaprizov. He's a playmaker because of his skating. I mean, we talk about the around the world uh, uh, kind of lap he had against LA in game one where he was on his inside edges for, it looks like he skated 17 miles in that shift. Uh, but that's the kind of skating uh, that can draw, you know, and get defenseman puck watching, you know, again, he's just a guy that he does everything at such a high rate of speed that it's easy to get puck watching. And with his IQ and his brain, it works as fast as his hands. I mean, that is, you know, what makes him such a dangerous player. He sees the seams, he sees the passing lanes, he anticipates those. Uh, there was a play last night where he didn't, you know, telegraph this at all, but looked like he was going to do a wraparound, then tucked it behind him. Unfortunately for Zuccarello, it just, you know, it was in pretty tight to the goal crease, couldn't find the open net, but he had Cal Peterson completely going to the other side of the post. Uh, so Zuccarello had a four by six wide open that he missed, but nobody on the LA Kings defense knew that he was going there. And I think that's important. Uh, this team's makeup. I mean, don't get me wrong. Bill Guerin, bringing in Bonito, bringing in Nick Bukestad. I think he deserves some credit here. But my goodness, you know, Kaprizov, and then how about Kevin Fiala, too? I mean, yeah, six, three, and nine, but how good is it to say that you don't have to rely on one player to generate your offense? Who would have thought, you know, how many games into the season, 18 games, that Jules Eriksson was going to be your leading goal scorer? That's a very, very nice surprise. And this team, if they keep surprising, they, it could be maybe the surprise of the year in, in the entire National Hockey League. Yeah, the young guys are stepping up, and it's obviously very exciting to see. There's two guys that I want to talk about here, uh, and then I think I'm out of topics, but I know I've said that before and been burned by that. Two guys I want to talk about, and the reason I want to talk about them both is because we do have the Seattle expansion draft coming up. Um, Nick, I, in my personal opinion, uh, one, I think Jonas Brodin stays regardless because his 200-foot game is phenomenal, but I think his offensive game has jumped another step. He seems like a player that's more willing to jump up in the rush and jump up in plays and kind of be that defenseman who jumps on the, you know, on the flat crossing drop passes and, you know, willing to be a little bit more offensive. And he's been rewarded not only with points, but I think um, when you turn a defensive defenseman into an offensive threat as well, I think you just open up so many more options, similar to Kaprizov. You know, when you start to open up both sides of the game, it just makes you more of a threat. Jared Spurgeon is the prime example of someone who plays both sides very, very well. Um, the other person on this list is Matt Dumba. Has Matt Dumba made a case for the Minnesota Wild to hang on to him during the Seattle expansion draft? I think, um, I don't know if he's there yet, but I think, that his case is growing stronger and stronger every week. Uh, I'm not as sold as you are. And here's why I say that he's doing better Four four for eight points. He's a plus three, but if you watch his game and you watch some of the small things, right. With defenseman's about the small things, right. Uh, there are plenty of times where I feel like physically, and it surprises me because when he was a defenseman, in the WHL, uh, he was the guy that loved to lay the boom, especially, you know, pressure on the, on the uh, defensive blue line. Uh, to me, there's been some times where he's looked like not as quite physically engaged uh, coming through with somebody attacking him. And, and it unfortunately, because he has been over aggressive at times. And I know that, you know, it's hard to kind of break some molds, but for me, uh, Dumba, he looks better. Has he made the case to stay? I don't know, because it's not necessarily because of what he's done or hasn't done, 
But how do you take away, like you mentioned, how do you take away Jonas Brodin? He's not going anywhere. Uh, Carson Susi looks very, very solid as kind of like, you know, the stay-at-home defenseman. Jared Spurgeon's the captain. Ryan Suter, there's no way he's waving on the movement clause. Uh, at the end of it, it may be just a numbers game with Matt Dumba that ends up maybe being exposed to the expansion draft. And it's tough to say because, you know, the while they're in a business where you have too much of a good thing, you know, this roster is humming along and it's one of those deals where unfortunately with an expansion draft coming, you're probably going to lose a good player. And Matt Dumba could be that guy that you lose because of just, you have too many guys you want to hold on to and you only have so many spots that you can. Yeah. I, I mean, I've liked his play mostly because I think he's, sh- he's been shooting a lot more and that is the strength of Matt Dumba's game is we know there are some, I don't want to even say defensive liabilities because the knock, especially when he came in early into his career was that he was defensively um, liable or however you want to say it. Um, But his actually underlying defensive numbers are not bad. They're not, you know, they're not like astronaut. He's not Jonas Brodin where he's, you know, denying chances left and right, but he's not, you know, this negative performance player defensively where he's going to severely cost your team. Um, and I think that, you know, that when you pair him with a guy like Jonas Brodin, you know, that he's going to kind of run a little more rampant offensively because that is his game. Um, I just, I, I say kudos to him, probably if anything, making the decision a little bit harder. And I think he's been a really good contributor. And how about that move last night, forehand, backhand, whatever shelf. I mean, it was just, it was gorgeous. And he bit, yeah, Cal Pierce a bit hard on that and at the end of that how uh, I, I would say when LA watches that film and when you watch three players go to that far side boards uh oh man I mean you talk about a yeah. you know comedy of errors a defensive breakdown and how about Matt Dumb did you anticipate you know jumping in and and creating that you know up high cycle and noticing hey you know there's some open ice in front of me they make himself available for a pass that's that offensive type IQ that he has that can make him very dangerous from the blue line. And like you mentioned, if he is going to be picked by Seattle, that's going to be, you know, uh, it's, he's one, he's a guy that you make with two moves, right. Where you want to also make sure you have another well, good, you know, good skating two-way defenseman to pair with him. So that way, you know, he can go and do his offensive, you know, I I guess his game is, is there free for him to do, but also not cautious defensively. And so uh, it's going to be tough. Uh, It's the Minnesota, I have some tough decisions coming up for us this postseason for sure. And you look at the way that play started too. It all started with Matt Dumba carrying the puck into the zone through two and a half guys and starting that offensive rush and never quitting on that play. Um, final question about the Minnesota Wild for you, Nick. Um, Cam Talbot, when he's healthy, uh, Cam Talbot or Capo Kakinen? I, I think you got to go with Cam Talbot. Um, and here's why. Um, Kakinen is good. Don't get me wrong, but he's not great yet. Um, there's some things positionally that he needs to refine that I can see. Um, sometimes I feel like he almost overplays the pucks a little bit, uh, but he's a young goaltender, right? I mean, he was the AHL goaltender of the year last year, uh, but that doesn't mean you you know, come in and you're all of a sudden carry price in the National Hockey League. It's a different le- uh, level of play. Who is, um, who is really struggling right now, by the way. He's, he's very, very much struggling. But, you know, I don't necessarily think it's all on Carey Price either in Montreal either. Um, on the side note for Capo Kakinen, you know, I, I think it's good that he gets reps. It, it, it gives Minnesota, again, like we talked about St. Cloud, that 1A1B punch. Uh, but for Cam Televit, you are paying him the money, you know, three and a half million a year he is your number one goaltender uh but how nice is it for the wild where you if you even want to go back to the days of manny fernandez and Dwayne rollison where you can almost you know do a one goaltender every other night and just kind of rotate a minute and almost have two starting goaltenders uh i mean let's go back to let's open up another scar we do that a lot here on this show <laughs> yes, uh, 2014 uh when uh, nick backstrom goes down and then all of a sudden it's Ilya breeze Golov that's in the net and unfortunately, because of a stupid stanchion, stanchion. Oh. Uh, in game six, that goes right to the stick of Patrick Kane. Uh, I mean, if that doesn't happen. You know, I still feel like the while that they would have pushed it to game seven, not saying mm-hmm. they would have won it, but uh, that team to me, the 2014 squad. And mm-hmm. I think. And look at the and, and look at the makeup of that team. They if yeah. you took all the Minnesota Wild teams that have been playoff bound, similar to the Huskies, they were not the team that you would have labeled as almost making a conference final, but they found a way to be that X factor and with poor goaltending. You know what? And you know what? Who was my favorite player on that entire roster was Cody McCormick. Honestly, yep. he was, you know, he was to me was the X factor to in the, this year's squad. It's Marcus Felino. He has that, you know, Cody McCormick. He's a smart four checker. He finishes plays. He a can also show a lot, a lot more, more skill too. Uh, Marcus Felino you know, is a guy that uh, he, he, 
people look at his contract and say he's overpaid. I don't, I don't no. think so at all. I think he's worth his weight in gold, honestly, <laughs> especially what he does both on and off the ice for this squad. Uh, where's so he, Dan, he, where's Danny Heatley when you need him though? <laughs> Yeah, Danny Heatley's changing in the back check. That's where he is. Um, <laughs> at, at, at the end of it, though, I mean, it was Danny Heatley that actually did a sauce pass to spring Brodziak and Nito Niederreiter on that 2-1 against Colorado. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Danny Heatley, love him or hate him, you know, he he did actually turn it on. Remember, he was a healthy scratch he's, a couple of uh, games. He scored that night, too. He scored the second goal. Remember, he, he spun did. around and, like, hit that puck around the defenseman. It's a nice play. He did. Um, it was. But- so... Yeah, at so, the end of it, you know, this, this to, to cap it off, to cap off my point, I, I like the Wilds play. Uh, you know, are they going to go on a 10 0 run? Probably not. But now you're going to face, a, you know, almost your measuring stick here. I think the Wild have elevated where they are at in terms of the echelons of the National Hockey League. But now you're going to go up a really tough test against the Vegas School of the Knights, uh, a team that historically they've played very, very well. But that was yeah. under Gerard Gallant in a different little style of play. Now they got Pete DeBoer. Uh, you know, Pete DeBoer is a guy that uh, he seems to get the best of his players, especially defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, so will be a very good matchup, I think, for these two squads uh, going into the, the next couple of games. I definitely agree. I believe the Minnesota Wild were the last team to lose to Vegas in the regular season uh, in Vegas. Um, so they have played Vegas very, very well. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong in that stat, people who who know hockey. Nick, do we have anything else to add or to talk about uh, on the show today? Anything that we're missing? Um, besides, the fact that I, besides the fact that I think your hair looks great. I mean, it looks horrible, actually. I think um. you look great. <laughs> Other, other than that, we do, uh, have a, we do have a couple of guests coming on the show. Uh, we are um, scheduled for two weeks out, which is kind of nice to say. Uh, we do have Katie Emmer joining us once again. Uh, this time, she'll actually be on video. She was the last guest without video back in episode number 21. She'll join us for episode number 51, talking a little bit, a little bit about Hockey Day in Minnesota and kind of what's going on in her world. Uh, excited to catch up with her. And then the week after, at the end of the men's regular season, we are going to catch up with Captain Spencer Meyer and talk a little bit of Husky hockey hopefully it's a good discussion as the huskies are the men's team is the only st cloud state hockey team back in action from here on out in the 2020 2021 season coming up on saturday 107 p.m the herbrooks national hockey center against the duluth bulldogs second place in the nchc on the line like we mentioned the minnesota wild have a pair of games against vegas and then a pair of games against arizona this week uh tune in for everything huskies hockey and uh, we'll have uh our what do we call them I, we have recaps, uh, previews. That's what they're called. Um, we're going to have them both. We didn't have one last night. We had some technical difficulties, but we'll be sure to be on top of that. Uh, as always, drop us a line. Let us know what you think. Find us at huskieswarminghousepodcast.com, and we'll see you for the Healthy Scratch interview segment with Katie Emmer in episode number 51. Have a good week, everyone.